James is really big on this whole like familial relationship or family relationship between like God the Father, Jesus the Son, and we are the brethren, we are the brothers and sisters of Christ. And I was thinking about this, it's like, what do you think are the things that actually, A, make your parents the most happy, and B, what do you think really gets under their skin or gets on their nerves the most? Not Hampton. Who said that? That's mean. No. What do you think really makes your parents thankful for you? When you do what? What do you think? What? Go get the groceries because your mom doesn't want to and you do that for her. Okay, so doing something for them they want. Okay. Anything else? Anything else you, parent, you think your parents really appreciate out of you? Who's got one? Pointing. Oh, sorry. I was looking over there. What do you think, Ruthie? Doing your schoolwork like you're supposed to. Okay, okay. All right, so let's, let's go to the dark side of the coin real quick. What do you think really gets under your uh, parents' skin and annoys them? <laughs> Not naming names, siblings. Actually, this is going to work perfectly for this illustration. This is great. Thank you, Julius. You just played right into my hand. It's great. What do you got, Kaylee? Bickering and arguing. Absolutely. I speak as a parent of 10 years now. I celebrated my 10-year parent anniversary last month. Thank you, Peyton Lee and Parker. I've been a parent for 10 years. So I've got a 10-year parent anniversary under my belt. And I will tell you, here's what really I love as a parent. And I know your parents do too. And Julius, what you just showed is great because this is going to work perfect. Parents love it, especially when you have siblings, when siblings, when their children are getting along. Right? Parents, if you're in the room, nod with me. Yes, okay. We love it when our kids are getting along, okay? There's nothing better than in our house when we have the playroom or the kids are upstairs in their room and I am not in the room, but from a distance I can hear them getting along. There's nothing better than that. You know what really does kind of like hurt a parent's ears and, and actually just, you know, makes them want to like, you know, grind their teeth together is complaining and grumbling and arguing. That really does. And a lot of times, it's the complaining about stuff that parents can't change, okay? Like, how much longer do we have to wait for this? Well, I'm not making the food at the restaurant, so I don't know how long it's going to take. You want me to go back there and make it for you? I'll, maybe I should do that. Maybe we should have just stayed at home where I am the cook, and it will take as long as I determine it will take instead of going out here and letting them make the food for us, right? There, there's nothing I can do to change the timeline of waiting for you. But when you grumble as a kid, it does kind of get under your parents' nerves. It's, it's the old classic, like when you're on a road trip. Are we there yet? You know, are we there yet? And I know some families who have gone the cross-country route, God bless you, um, especially the Moody's because you have a lot of children in your family. So, yeah, I mean, that, that is something that you guys earn gold stars as parents for doing that. But, but you know, we, we have a hard time when our children grumble and complain about things we can't change. And, and James, when we talked about this last week, about being patient, he was trying to give you the encouragement of how to be patient, right? And we talked about anticipating the Lord's arrival, that he's going to come back and he's going to deal with injustice, he's going to deal with sin, he's going to take care of all that and wipe it all away. Now, on the other side of this, he's also telling us a word of caution in your waiting. Don't do something that a lot of us tend to do in an earthly example. Don't turn it on God and how we do things here when we grow impatient. We said this last week. While you're waiting, you're going to be tempted to do a couple things. Satan's going to come to you and say, hey, how's that wait going? Still waiting on that, aren't you? And you're going to be tempted to grow frustrated with God. You're going to be tempted to think God doesn't keep his word. You're going to be tempted to choose to sin. And tonight we're going to add two more. 
You're going to be tempted while you're waiting for God to take care of things, and I mean finally take care of everything. You're going to be tempted to lash out at other people, and you're going to be tempted to grumble or complain. Those are things that we are going to be tempted to do in our waiting as we lose patience. Let's read James chapter 5, verses 9 through 11 together. It's on the screen. It says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, here's what he's saying. He's saying it it is a warning that if you, in your impatience, waiting for God to take care of injustice in this world or to fix things that are broken here, in your impatience, do not grumble against one another. And And he tells you, because if you do that, you will be judged. Now, that doesn't mean like you're going to be cast into hell. This is still, there is a judgment that awaits you as a believer, whether you believe that, whether you realize that or not, that God will still judge everything that you've done under the earth, okay? Here, while you are here, everything that you do is still going to be judged. You'll give an account for it. Now, praise God that ultimately, if you are in Christ, you will go into heaven because God pays for your sin. But that means your works are still weighed and, and seen, and your good deeds done in Christ's name will be rewarded, okay? The bad things you still give an account for, though. Now, luckily, Jesus pays for all those. Your account is paid in full. But you're still going to be judged. And so there's a warning in that. And I think I love this, this example. The judge is standing at the door. It's kind of like that example of the parent, right? Like where you hear the kids in the other room playing and having fun, but then you start to hear the fun turn dark and it gets into an argument. And then you start to approach the door. And you're waiting as the parent to jump in and intervene. That's kind of the sense you get here, right? That the judge, Jesus, is standing at the door. He's waiting to intervene. He's coming back. And the first time he showed up, like we celebrate this week, Passion Week, he showed up to save us from our sin. And he did that fully on the cross. But the next time he shows up, he's coming to judge the world. Right? So so the judge is standing at the door. So now James is going to say, okay, so, so this is all going on, and I don't want you to grumble. And I've always been fascinated with this word grumbling. It's an interesting word in scripture, and it shows up again and again and again and again. And I thought about it, it, when is it really easy for us to grumble? And there's a lot of things, but I, I just jotted down five or six here that I thought about for myself. It's easy to grumble when things are not going your way. And, and, I, and I'm not just saying like you're throwing a fit like a spoiled brat. I'm saying like the, just circumstances in your life just continue to go wrong. And some of them are out of your control, right? Sometimes you just get dealt a bad hand over and over and over. Situations just don't seem to work out for you. You know, like you could see that in sports. Some teams play a perfect game. They've tried their best, but for whatever reason, they just don't get the win. And no matter how hard they play, they did all the right things and just a couple of mistakes here or there and something went the wrong way and the other team wins. Right? I mean, that, that happens. Things just aren't going your way. It's easy to grumble as you become discontent when that happens. It's easy to grumble when you're tired, right? I think that's probably the number one, right? It's easy to complain when you are tired, like physically tired, emotionally tired, mentally tired. Like when you're drained, it's easy to complain and grumble. 
it's easy to grumble when things look easier for other people, right? It's easy to look at their life and say, man, they, they just have it going on. Like, why, does they, why do they get so much easy stuff and I don't? It's easy to complain about that. It's easy to grumble. It's easy to grumble when you don't understand what is going on in the world. You know, you just don't, you haven't been told why things are the way they are. God hasn't revealed that. And some things God holds to himself and he has that right as God. But that can frustrate you and cause you to grumble and complain. And finally, you can grumble when you're waiting. You've been waiting for a long time. And, and so you're just like, okay, I'm tired of waiting. You can grumble. You know, this word grumble, it, it actually is a word that talks about smoldering discontent, like that smoldering under the surface. It, it's an idea that it's not seen by other people. It lingers underneath you, and, and you are aware of it, you're discontent, you're unhappy with things, but it stays below the surface. And the only way that it actually rises to the surface to be exposed is when it comes out in a bitter spirit with other people and in the relationships you have with other people. That's when your, your grumbling shows up. It, it kind of overflows and comes out of you when you start to see bitter and resentful spirits show up in your relationships with others. And this is what James is trying to say. It's like, listen, when you are, are, are waiting for God to take care of things, don't take out your frustrations on each other, number one. Don't do that. Don't, don't look at somebody else's life and go, man, you just got it so easy, and, you, and start to get upset with them or resent them. Don't do that. You're brothers and sisters in Christ, so stay together. That's the, that's the thing that I, I really believe God, God just, it breaks his heart when he sees his children grumbling against one another complaining. He doesn't want to see that. He wants to see unity. He wants to see a bond that is a strong tie in the family. So don't allow that to happen. But the other thing is he doesn't want you to grumble against him. He doesn't want you to grumble against him. And this is something that has been going on from age to age. We're going to go back to the Old Testament, but I'm going to give you some New Testament examples real quick. I'm going to breeze through these for sake of time. Luke 15, Jesus is about to talk about the parable of the lost sheep going after sinful people. And as he's doing this, the Pharisees grumble at Jesus under their breath because they're upset that tax collectors and sinful people hang out with Jesus. They grumble about that. In Matthew 20, Jesus tells a parable of workers in a vineyard. And he's talking about the grace that the landowner shows to workers who showed up in the 11th hour and only worked for one hour versus people who worked for the entire day. And then the worker or the landowner, excuse me, decides to bless the people who only worked for one hour with the same wage as the people who worked for 12. And the people who worked for 12 grumble about that. That's unfair, they say. That's the kind of heart attitude. Jesus is again addressing that parable to a group of Pharisees that are in the background listening to him. John 6 is another one where the Jews grumble after Jesus says he is the bread from heaven. And they say things like, how can he say that he is the bread from heaven? Because they understand that, I mean, he is sent from God to provide us with something that we need to sustain us. And they're like, how is he the bread of heaven when he is just Mary and Joseph's son? He's not that special. How can he claim to be that special? And so they grumble about him. Grumbling is an age-old thing that we have done, but this is probably the one that is the most famous from Scripture. In Numbers chapter 11, the Jewish people grumble because they are tired of being in the wilderness. They complain. Here's what they say. I'm going to read a couple parts of Numbers chapter 11 for you. I want you to notice the impact it has on Moses. I'm going to start at the beginning, and then we have a couple of the verses on the screen as well. 
This says this in verse 1. The people complained in their hearts to the Lord about their misfortunes. When the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed outlying parts of the camp. The people cried out to Moses and prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. Later on, it says this. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. The people of Israel wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Okay, so, so here's the deal. The Israelite people, and I know Pastor Rob used this example a couple weeks ago in, in uh, one of his sermons, but this is such a, uh, he didn't go into some of the details that I'm going to share with you tonight. But the people leave Egypt, they leave slavery, they go into the wilderness, and God provides this miraculous manna from heaven. They get tired of it, and then they start to cry out in this passage, we wish we had meat to eat. We're so tired of what is going on here. And they complain to one another and to Moses, the person who has been appointed to lead them. This is where we're going to pick it up in verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout the clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I like how that rhymes in English. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight that I may not lose, may not see, excuse me, my wretchedness. This, this is Moses talking to God. I, I don't know if, if any of you have ever boldly spoken to God like that in your anger or your frustration of things, but do you hear what is going on here? He's like, listen, why did you appoint me to be, a, to be the leader of a people who are just going to complain over and over? Who am I to provide for them? How am I going to make enough meat or get enough stuff to provide for the tens of thousands of people that you have put me in charge of? It's not fair. He even says at the end, this weight, this burden is too heavy for me. Moses has had enough. Enough is enough for him at this point. These people are too much. Leading them, too difficult. Their attitudes stink. I am so tired. And he says, if you will treat me like this, kill me at once. But if I have found favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. He, he actually thinks it would be better for him to be killed at once than to continue living out the leadership of this people group. That's the mental headspace that Moses is in in this moment. That's really dark. But you can see how grumbling can turn on other people. And you can see the effect it has on Moses. This is why James warns us, in your patience for God to deal with sin in this world, don't grumble at one another. This is why the Jewish people, when they were led out of Egypt, is a perfect illustration for us being led out of our sin. You were once enslaved in your sin, just like the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. 
You had no hope. You had no way to get out of that. And yet, God made a way when there was no way. He parted the seas and got you through the sea, through Jesus, and made salvation available to you. The forgiveness of your sin. Not just forgiving you of your sin, but breaking the the power that sin has over you so you're no longer enslaved to it. And yet, how often do we go back to being just like them, saying, I wish I had things the way I used to have them. Like they say back in, in a couple of verses before, this is not on the screen, but we remember the fish we ate in Egypt. They cost nothing. Really? You were slaves. They cost you nothing? We remember the cucumber, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Our strength is dried up now, though. There's nothing at all for us but this manna to look at. How often are we like that? We get impatient and we grumble against God saying, I, I, I left all this behind. I left, I left this lifestyle behind. I left, I left these people behind because they weren't with you. And I, I tried to live the right way, but, but here I am now. And what, what have I gotten? I haven't gotten anywhere. What's really interesting about this is they're grumbling They're groaning against God and Moses. But do you know how their whole story started off in Exodus? It started with groaning. In in Exodus chapter 2, it says this. This is before Moses shows up on the scene. But here's what it says. During those days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned. They grumbled. Because of their slavery, and they cried out for help, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And this is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Period. God knew. They grumbled when they were in Israel because They were slaves and had no hope. They were slaves told to make bricks without straw, without the supplies needed to do it. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up and reached the ear of God. And God knew what was going on. Some of you right now may be thinking, I'm crying out to God and he has no idea. And if he does have an idea, why isn't he doing anything? And I just want to point you back to this verse. That God saw the people of Israel and God New. God sees you and God knows. God knows exactly what's happening in your life right now. He sees it. Not unaware of it. He sees it. The grumbling of the people of Israel started off this whole sequence. God heard their grumbling heard their cries, saved them, led them out of slavery, got them to a safe place, provided for them in a land that is desolate wilderness and provided miraculously for them. And yet all they could do is go back to saying, I wish I was back in slavery and complaining. Now, let me get you back to Numbers 11 real quick because here's here's an interesting point. I just want to point out to this to you. God provides even though they complained. Later on, God brings quail that literally are about three feet deep and provides meat for them to eat. Literally changed the migration pattern of a bird and got the quail to drop at their feet so they had meat to eat in the camp. 
Moses who had struggled to the point where he was so overwhelmed saying, I can't do this. God says, okay, let's gather 70 men to be elders and help you out. God provides for him. God provides for them. What's interesting is Moses also knows something about humanity. This is interesting. I'm just going to read this in Numbers 11. He says, okay, so you're going you're gonna to bring all this food to them. You're going to bring the meat for not just 20 days, but for a whole month. And he says, but, but shall all the flocks and herds be slaughtered for them? And would that be enough? Is that going to be enough for them? You're going to provide food for a month. You're going to provide them meat for a month. Will that be enough? Or will all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them? And that be enough for them? The Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true to you or not. Moses knew something about people is that there's never enough for people. They always are going to want more. So what, what, what do we do with this? How do, we, how do we have a remedy for this type of grumbling? I'm going to take you back to James 5 now. James says two things at the end. I'm going to reread them for you really quickly. James says this. Behold, consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The last two things he says are the remedy for our grumbling. Here's what they are. You need to, number one, first, you need to see the purpose of the Lord. You have to understand what God is after. And I think this is something that so many people have gotten wrong and you have to know this, okay? Hear me. God's purpose is not to make your life easy. God's purpose is that he would be glorified in your life. Okay? God's purpose is that he would be glorified in your life. Through the mundane things, the boring things, through the simple things, through the big things. God the purpose of God right now, the purpose of the Lord is to be glorified in your life that he may gain the glory. That other people may come to know him because if other people come to know him, guess what? God gets more glory because more people worship him. Okay, so the purpose of the Lord, we need to see that and understand that clearly, is that he would be glorified. And if he is glorified, guess what? That's actually for your good. So the more that he's glorified, the better it is for your life. That, that's the purpose of the Lord. And the second thing is we need to know his character, that he is gracious and merciful. And I'm going to give you one more example and then we'll be done that James uses. He uses the example of Job. Job is an interesting one. We're not going to have time to go through all 40 some odd chapters of Job tonight, but I'm going to give you some highlights. And you would say, well, Job is a really interesting example to say like, okay, did he really see the purpose of God? Because I thought Job complained a lot. It sounded like if you read the book of Job, like he gets his friends together and he complains about how, how, how horrible things have gone for him because trials came and something bad happened in his life and he just seems to complain over and over. Didn't Job complain? Yeah, he did. He complained. But you know what Job never did? He never gave in to what his wife told him to do when, when the things at the beginning of the book of Job happened to him, when he loses everything. He loses his health, he loses his wealth, he even loses family. And his wife says to him, you should curse God and die. And he never gives in to that. He never curses God. He complained, but he never cursed God. He, he acknowledged how difficult it was. Okay, but, but didn't, didn't God have to humble and correct Job over and over? Yeah, he did. Absolutely he did. And that's going to happen in your life. God's going to have to humble you and correct you along this path. And yet, 
at the beginning and the end of the book, in between all the things that happened in Job's life, when he sometimes grumbled and complained a little bit, he never cursed God, but he complained, guess what? God commended him for his faith. Job 1.8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. That's prior to the trial. Job 42.8, though, says, Now after everything has taken place, take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job. He's actually talking to one of Job's friends who got it all backwards and wrong. And he said, Go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So yet, in the midst of Job trying to figure out what in the world is going on when his life all fell apart, God commended him at the beginning before it happened. After it all happened, God says, my servant Job has spoken rightly, and I will hear his prayers. That's interesting. Job was humbled and corrected by God, and yet God still commended him. Because ultimately, all the things that happened in Job's life, all the trials, all the tribulations, all the difficulties that he went through, ultimately revealed to him the purpose of the Lord that he understood. That it's not about him, it's not about his life being comfortable, it's about God getting more glory, and Job understanding God more, and being closer to God. This is what Job says in Job 42, verses 2 and five, through 5. He says this, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He has an understanding of God in a clearer, fuller way now. Who is this that hides counsel with that knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, now my eye sees you. Job saw God clearly through everything that had happened in his life. Listen, I know that some of you guys are going through things that are challenging and difficult, and you're wondering, and you're, you're getting on that, the cliff where you want to grumble, and you just want to turn back to the slavery in Egypt. You want to go back to the sinful things. You want to turn away from God, even though you might be in a wilderness spot in your life. But here, I'm here to tell you that Job had gone through the darkest times in his life, and you might be going through something dark in your life right now, and here's the end of it. If you hang in with God and trust God and patiently wait for God to to make things right, and you trust in him, and you just cling to him, your eye will see him more clearly. You'll see him better than you did before those things started in your life. And that will be enough. The purpose of God will be made clear to you. And just like the Israelites, when they were crying out in Egypt, God knows what you're dealing with, and God hears you when, he, when you call, and he is gracious and he is merciful. I'm going to end with this verse just to encourage you. Psalm 30, verses 2 through 5. O oh Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O oh Lord, you have brought me up, my soul from Sheol. You restored my li me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O oh, you saints. Give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment. And his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You might, be, you might be on the verge of tears. You might be weeping. You might feel like God has allowed things to go wrong in your life. Those things are but momentary. His favor for you, if you are in Christ, lasts a lifetime.
Your weeping may go on through the night, but he's telling you joy is coming in the morning. There's a time when he will wipe away those tears. If you're going through those difficult things right now, think of it as, as the end of it. What, what can happen if you cling to Christ, trust in him, grow deeper in your relationship with him through the trial, through the tribulation, through whatever it is, through the waiting, through being patient, your eyes could now see him more fully. Man, so many people are, are aching to know God better. I just want to see him. I want to get to know him better. Maybe the recipe for that is something difficult in your life right now, and God's put, allowing it, you to go through it, just like he allowed it to happen to Job. But for Job to say, I know that you can do all things, and now I see you more clearly, he came out the other side more in love with his God, and his faith was stronger and deeper because of all he had experienced. I hope that your faith grows. Wherever you're at, I hope that your faith grows. And I hope that you see that what used to be in Israel's past when they were in Egypt, whatever is in your past, whatever, whatever you have had to leave behind to follow Christ when he made the way to salvation available to you, I hope you see that it's so much better where you're going now. Don't go back. You don't want to go back there. There's nothing but death there. It sounds good. You think that it's good. But it's not. It's so much better to be with him, even if it's in a place that is difficult, dry wilderness. It's better to be with him than it is to be in a lush place where you're a slave. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time together. And I, I, just, I always just appreciate just the willingness of this group of students, these young people, to, to understand your word, to hide it into their hearts. God, I pray that it transforms them. I pray that it, it works into their hearts tonight as they go home, that it continues to train them in righteousness and conform them to your will. I pray that, it, I know, I know there are things that are challenging and difficult for students in this room. And I know that things aren't always easy. I know that we have to wait often for answers to prayer. God, I pray that we wouldn't take it out on one another. We wouldn't take it out on you, but we would trust in you. We would cling to you. We might wrestle with it. We might question what's going on, but may we be like Job where we never curse God. We never turn away from you. We continue to trust you and see that on the other side, you will allow us to prosper. You will allow us to see you more fully, that our eyes could see you. So God, I just pray for students in here who are in that spot right now. God, make yourself clear to them tonight. Turn their hearts to want to chase after you more fully as well. God, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word and the beauty of it. I pray that it continues to work in us and change us to be more like you. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. As you're headed out, um, Alex is going to roll the videos. You're more than welcome to stick around and see them for your entertainment pleasure. But we've got three. We've got the winning. Uh, I got a dream. We've got the Maui runner-up guys. And then we've got Alex's solo performance, which is a sight to behold. You can enjoy. <laughs>